Our scripture lesson is taken from 2 Peter, chapter 3, page 1,397, 1,397 in the Pew Bible, 2 Peter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and reading to the end of the chapter. Second Peter, chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your minds by way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking toward these things, be diligent to be found in him, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as is also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, one of the ancient traditions of the Advent season is that some time be given to considering the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the second coming, his glorious appearing, what is sometimes referred to as the parousia, the glorious in the flesh appearing of Jesus Christ at the end of this age, which Jesus promised. The promise of his coming, as Peter refers to it at the beginning of this chapter. The promise of his coming. The thought is that as the church remembers the fulfillment of Old Testament promises of the first coming, we should also think that there are New Testament promises that will also be fulfilled. The fulfillment of the Old Testament <coughs> promises uh, give us added incentive to believe the New Testament promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Excuse me. And so uh, this morning I want to direct your attention uh, before the Advent season comes to an end to this passage from 2 Peter chapter 3 that deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Peter's, one of Peter's main thoughts in this chapter is that we should look forward in anticipation to the coming of the Lord. Uh, you recall that the Old Testament saints looked forward in anticipation to the first coming of the Lord. You remember how uh, Andrew went to his uh, brother Simon Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. He was so excited. They found the one that they'd been hoping for, looking for, whose coming they had been anticipated. And uh, Nathaniel, Philip went to Nathaniel and said, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And, and the prophets, of whom the prophets also wrote. Uh, they had been studying Moses. They had been studying the prophets, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And now we found him. Uh, they were eagerly anticipating the coming of the Lord. Now, I would like you to just do a little uh, momentary soul-searching and say, ask yourself, you know, do you have that same kind of sense of anticipation, longing, and looking forward to regarding the, the parousia, the second glorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this something that that you think about, that you meditate on, that you look forward to with eager anticipation. You know, as the, as the holiday season approached at the, the end of November, the beginning of December, as we anticipated the coming uh, Christmas and New Year's celebrations, I'm sure that many of you uh, eagerly anticipated uh, seeing your loved ones. Now, because of COVID, that doesn't, uh, hasn't happened as much as it has happened traditionally, but still there have been some family gatherings, and you looked forward to them. And if they didn't happen, you are grieved because they haven't happened yet or weren't able to happen. Uh, the, these family gatherings, the, the coming, the advent of our loved ones, is a, an event that we eagerly anticipate. Do you have an eager anticipation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we too busy? Too busy with all the daily activities of work and family and, and community and all the different uh, uh, 
obligations and jobs that we have and money that has to be earned to support the family and pay for the children's education and to pay for their clothing and pay for the mortgage and, and yeah, caring for sick loved ones. And oh, there's so many things that, that occupy our attention that I'm afraid we don't do enough of what the Old Testament saints did. <laughs> Eagerly look forward to the coming of our Savior. Now, to encourage us in that regard, the Apostle Peter sets before us some of the things that that Christ will do when he comes. And uh, uh, I'd like to bring that before your attention today. The first thing that we want to take note of is that when Christ returns, the creation will be cleansed with fire. The creation will be cleansed with fire. The whole creation, not just the earth, but the whole creation will be cleansed with fire. Why the whole creation? Why not uh, just uh, burn up all the bad things? Burn up all the bad people, burn up all the bad things, but burn the whole creation? Why why do we have to have new heavens? And the new heavens are the the atmosphere around the earth, and and then the second heaven is the uh, place where the the star, sun and the moon and the stars are found. And then the third heaven is God's abode, but that's, I don't believe that that's included in the new heavens. The new heavens are the, the first two heavens around the earth and the, the place of the planets. Why do they have to be new? Well, it goes back to the very beginning of, of the creation of human beings when God said to Adam, I give you dominion. I give you dominion over the birds of the air who fly in the heavens, you know. I give you dominion over them and over the fish of the sea and over everything that creeps upon the earth. I give you dominion over the whole creation. In Psalm 8, the psalmist uh, says this, What is man? And that's a reference to uh, Adam and Eve and to you and me. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man... And I believe that's a reference to the new Adam and the new creation, the new humanity under the Son of Man. What is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over all the works of his hands and and put all things under their feet. Of course, they failed miserably in carrying out that mandate, but now it is renewed in Christ and all things are under his feet. The, The whole creation is under mankind. And because the whole creation is under mankind, when mankind becomes corrupted, everything under him becomes corrupted. That's why God said to Adam, Cursed is the earth because of you. The earth is cursed because of you. Because you sinned, the whole creation now groans and uh, is uh, subjected to futility and decay, it says in uh, Romans chapter 8. The whole creation subjected to futility and in bondage to decay. And because the whole creation is under mankind, and because mankind has sinned, then it all has to be purged or cleansed with fire. Uh, Peter says the earth and the works that are done in it will be, uh, will be burned up. 
and uh, will uh, be ex uh, exposed. This uh, fire is a, a fire that exposes everything, shows things for what they really are, so that uh, wickedness might be distinguished from righteousness, and everything that is evil will be destroyed. Uh, we read in Second uh, Peter 3.10, the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Paul elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 and following. He says, each one's work will become manifested, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If, his, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul is writing to Christians here and saying to Christians, some of you are, are building on a foundation of wood and hay and stubble. You're not doing good works. You'll be saved, saved as it were by the skin of your teeth, saved as one passing through the fire, but your works will be burned up. And so he encourages us to build our lives on a foundation of gold and silver and precious stones so that, that our works may survive and that there may be a, a gracious reward given for the works that we were able to do through uh, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in our lives. And uh, he's saying now this, this fire will expose everything. Uh, we needn't be afraid of the fire in the sense that... Uh, we will be lost and we ourselves will be uh, burned up. Uh, Christ has already been burned up for us. He has already come under the judgment of God in our place on our behalf and suffered what we deserve so that we might no longer be under condemnation. And anyone who is in Christ, there is now no condemnation. But nevertheless, the fire will come and purge this earth so that uh, it is uh, completely uh, cleansed. We, uh, we read in, uh, in the uh, Belgian Confession, Article 37, he, will, he, that is God, will set this old world afire to purge it. To purge means to, to cleanse, to make clean, to get rid of all the pollution of sin. In other words, God's judgment is, is not such that he says, oh, this world, it's, it's so corrupt. Let's just throw the whole thing away. <laughs> Let's just start from scratch, you know. I created from nothing once. I'll do that again. I'll just get rid of this whole creation and start again from nothing. No, that's not what God does. He doesn't annihilate the old creation. He cleanses it. You know, if he were to annihilate the old creation and, and just start from scratch again, that would be a kind of admission that, that Satan is so powerful that he can ruin God's creation beyond God's capability of repairing it. But that's not the case. Satan does not have the power to ruin creation beyond God's ability to repair it. God is redeeming the creation. He is renewing the creation. He is restoring the creation. He doesn't scrap the old earth and start again from nothing. Uh, there's a passage in Acts chapter 3 that uh, speaks of the return of Christ as the time uh, of restoration or the time for restoring all things. God makes all things new. You know, that's, that's what he does when he comes to you by his spirit through the word to give you the new birth. He doesn't come to uh, 
John Doe or Jane Doe and say, oh, look at that sinner. Let's just throw the whole thing away and I'll create a new John Doe and a new Jane Doe. Uh, I'll just uh, start from scratch. No, when, when you receive the new birth, he is renewing you, renewing you day by day internally. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day, the scripture says. Outwardly, that hasn't happened yet. Outwardly, our bodies are still decaying, but at the resurrection, our bodies also will be raised. It's not that the old body is completely discarded. No, Uh, even though it may have returned to the dust and that dust be scattered, God is able to, by his uh, almighty power, uh, take the elements of your old body and resurrect them and make them new again. Uh, That is what uh, God is doing. He's purging the world with fire in order to usher in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we need to to look forward to that, that that the world would be cleansed. Right now, the world is is polluted. The world is full of corruption. And because of it, there is pain and sorrow and misery and death. What a glorious thing it will be. When Christ comes and the whole earth is purged of all evil, all bad things, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death, but all things made new. That's something to look forward to. That's something to be excited about. A world in which there is only righteousness and peace and joy and ever-increasing glory. When the Lord comes, he will purge the world with fire. This is the goal of our salvation. Sometimes we're so short-sighted. And the only thing I can think of is, Lord, forgive my sins. And if I have my sins forgiven, then I'm satisfied, I'm happy. Well, forgiveness of sins is a tremendous blessing. But it's still just a means to a greater end. And some who are sick and ill, they are looking forward to the day when when their bodies shall be resurrected and, and, and things made new again. And we say, oh, what a glorious day that will be when our bodies shall be resurrected and and all the indignities and infirmities of old age will be wiped away and, and we will be in the, the strength of our youth for all eternity. But even that is just a means to an end. Or we we think about uh, the goal of of religion is to get people to heaven. Well, no, the goal isn't just to get people to heaven. Yes, disembodied spirits do go to be with Christ. But, you know, even when Christ promises that, he promises it in such a way as to to not make us look forward to a place so much as as to be with him. For for example, that uh, familiar passage in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to that place. No, that's not what it says. It says, I'm preparing a place, and I will come and take you to be with myself, to be with me, that where I am, you may be also. The goal of salvation is to be with God, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be in that new heaven and new earth where the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and fills the earth and God makes his home on the earth where there is a restoration and fulfillment of what, of what Eden and, and paradise was supposed to be. You know, that was just the beginning of, 
of God dwelling among men on earth. And had Adam and Eve not sinned, God's presence would have filled the earth and mankind would have filled the earth and the four rivers going from the Garden of Eden would have carried uh, a blessing to the ends of the earth going in, in all directions, you know. Uh, it was the, the beginning of, of God living on earth in the midst of His people and and people exercising dominion over the earth. You know, we're not going to be just playing harps in the new heaven and earth. We're, we're going to be fulfilling the creation mandate uh, that uh, we've uh, so miserably failed at so far. Uh, we've begun to do some of it, but uh, not at all all that we're capable of or that God intends for us. We're to, to go forth and exercise dominion under him, but he'll be on the earth with us, watching us do it and bringing him glory and praise as we do it for him. It's going to be a, a magnificent existence. That's the goal of our salvation, that this world be purged, a new world made in which righteousness and, and joy and peace and glory, where God is in the midst of his people, and we are in the earth doing all the work that he has given us to do, and we do it to offer up it to him in, for his praise and honor and glory. Now that's something to, to look forward to. That's something to be excited about, even more in, more exciting than, than finding Christmas presents under the Christmas tree, because all those Christmas presents, they're going to wear out. They're going to break. The batteries are going to run down, and the, uh, the toys are going to break. The clothes are going to wear out. But what God has in store for us is an inheritance that is imperishable, will never be defiled. You know, the first Adam failed when he was tested. But the new Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the new head of the, whole, of the human race, he also has been tested. And he passed the test. And because we are united to him, we are confirmed in righteousness. And so not only is the new heaven imperishable, but it will never be defiled. And its glory will never fade, but only ever get better. What a glorious thing to look forward to, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the earth shall be purged with fire and all things made new. God will dwell with his people on earth. Now, Peter's concern here is that we look forward to this eagerly and wait for it patiently. That we look for it eagerly and wait for it patiently. Already in the first century, there were those Christians who uh, were not waiting for it patiently. They were waiting for it and upset that it hadn't happened yet because they misunderstood some of the promises that Jesus had made regarding uh, things that would happen in their lifetime he had said to them, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And of course, uh, uh, back then, like now, uh, the Christians thought coming in his kingdom means coming back with the fullness of the kingdom. But the phrase coming with his kingdom, or uh, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. I saw one like the Son of Man coming. Only the coming wasn't 
a, a, a descent from heaven to the earth. It was an ascent to heaven. And what Jesus was referring to is that in your lifetime, you'll, you'll see me ascend uh, like Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. You'll see me ascend and there receive a kingdom. And he said, there'll be a sign, a magnificent sign in your lifetime that I am on the throne. And that uh, sign was the uh, destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, a fulfillment of uh, Christ sitting on the throne and ruling with a rod of iron and destroying with a rod of iron any of those who had heard the gospel but refused to kiss the Son, as indeed the Jews heard the gospel for 40 years but refused to, to believe it. And so were destroyed in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The sign to the church that Christ is on the throne. You saw, they saw in their lifetime uh, Christ ascend to the throne, and they saw the evidence that he is on the throne. That happened in their lifetime. And, but people misunderstood that and, and thought that, that uh, you will see in your lifetime, you'll see the Son coming in his kingdom, that that meant they'll see the, the return of Christ, and it hadn't happened, and they were becoming impatient. And not only were they uh, impatient, but they were also being influenced by the world. The world was scoffing at the promise. There were plenty of people in the world who were non-believers, but who had heard the gospel. And when the gospel includes this promise that Christ is coming again, the promise of his coming, and they scoff and say, you know, the world is going on the way it always has, and it always will. Uh, in our day, uh, the late uh, Carl Sagan used to uh, introduce his television program uh, each time it was on by uh, saying, uh, the cosmos uh, is all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. It's all there ever is, all that is, all that ever was, and all that ever will be. The world, it's always been here, the material universe it's always been here. It's all that there is. There's nothing beyond the material universe. There's no invisible spiritual world. And uh, the material universe is, is all that there ever will be. It, it will just go on. It will go on forever. Uh, that's, that's what the world says in response to the promise of his coming. And, and what are they forgetting? What are they ignoring and deliberately uh, denying? Well, they're denying the fact that the, the, the material universe wasn't always here, that it was created. God created it, and uh, he made it. And when he made it, the earth was covered with water. And, and one time he also recovered the world with water in the flood. He brought judgment upon the world. They don't want to talk about that. And today uh, you bring up the idea of a universal worldwide flood and uh, Secular science is vehement in opposing that idea because they know the implication of it. If, if they were to admit that there was indeed this universal flood, <laughs> the whole world, the only explanation for it, there, there's no natural explanation for something like that. The only explanation would be a supernatural explanation, which points to a supernatural God who, who judged the world. And the idea of judging the world is anathema to them. They don't, they don't want to think about judgments. 
They want to go on in their life of dissipation and sin and, and not be afraid of judgment. And so they'll do anything to, to exchange the truth of God and exchange it for a lie and suppress the truth. You know, the, the world wants all children to receive a, an education of evolution because uh, the idea of creation uh, implies that there is a God and that uh, if there is a God, that there will be a judgment. Uh, if there is a beginning, there can be an end. And, and so uh, let's, let's indoctrinate the children when they're young in, in, in evolution and let's deny uh, Christian universities accreditation so that their, their graduates can't get law degrees and can't get medical degrees. That's already happening in Canada and it's, uh, it's threatening to happen in the United States now too that, that uh, Christian universities are, lose their accreditation. And if you want to go to law school and have graduated from a Christian college or university, they won't let you in. And you want to go to medical school, they won't let you in because you went to a Christian school. And so they're forcing people to, to get the secular education, to, to get them brainwashed into the, the evolutionary worldview because they don't want anything to do with a God who created, because a God who can start things and, and judge things in history can, can also bring it all to an end. And so they scoff and they ridicule, and, and you and I live in that world and, and can't help to be influenced by it. You know, if you want a career in academia today... You want to be a university professor. You, want to, you need to get published. And in order to get published, you can't believe in uh, the inspiration of Scripture. You can't believe in, in creation. You can't uh, believe in, in, in Jesus Christ. Because if, if they find out, you will be censored. You will be uh, blacklisted. You, you won't get tenure in university because uh, Christians are being... Uh, discriminated against in that regard and so the pressure is on to to get us to to deny it all but god says you you christians you know this you know that god created the world and you know that he judged the world once and not just once he judged it several times with mighty judgments like uh, the flood and sodom and gomorrah and uh, uh, the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem and the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. These are all judgments in history that foreshadow the last judgment to come. We know this, and so we, we should not forget it. But why hasn't it happened? Well, it hasn't happened because God is patient. <laughs> He's giving you time. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to, to have all your works burned up. He wants you to, to use this time wisely for repentance. And by repentance, uh, Peter is referring to that initial repentance that comes at the, the beginning of the Christian life where we are awakened to our sin and must learn to hate sin and turn from it and turn to Jesus Christ and, and put, put your faith in Him. Stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Him and then devote yourself to, to holiness and godliness to uh, devote yourself uh, to, uh, to peace and uh, to be found without spot and, and blameless. A, a life of living no longer for self, but living for Him and doing the works that He has called you to do. Not to earn your salvation, but to show your love and gratitude for the salvation that has been freely given to you. He's given you time to do this. 
Are you using the time wisely? Are you devoting yourself to repentance and faith and to to the works that He prepared in advance for you to do? Works of holiness and godliness. Holiness means separation from the world. Godliness means doing what's right. That's the life to which we have been called. And then he says this, this is the most amazing thing. He says, if you do this, you hasten the day of the Lord. The more you devote yourself to holiness and godliness, to be found without spot and blemish, to be, to be at peace with God and, and with one another, you hasten the coming of the Lord. How can that be? Isn't that time fixed in the plan of God? Well, yes, it is fixed in the plan of God. God views time differently than we do. From our perspective, the coming of the Lord is, is dependent upon the state of the church and, and your spiritual condition. From our perspective, from a human perspective, from the, a time-centered perspective, which is not God's perspective, but from our perspective... The more we devote ourselves to doing what God has called us to do, the sooner we can expect Him to come. So if, if you are praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and you want to see that prayer answered, the way to see it answered is to devote yourself to godliness and to, to, to hasten His day, to look forward in eager anticipation, look forward to it and prepare for it, by devoting yourself to a life of righteousness. As we prepare to begin a new year, we need to resolve to to do this, that that this be a year where we, we are not so caught up in all that's going on around us in the world. You know, it's so easy, especially in in this uh, pandemic climate, to just think about now and, and all the things that have changed and how all things are different and how our lives have been impacted by by, by COVID and so forth, and to forget that our lives are to have a, a forward-looking perspective, anticipating that day when Christ shall come and purge the earth with fire and make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and where heaven will come down and fill the earth and God will, will, will be among His people and we'll live together in joy forever and ever. Let us look forward to that and hasten that day by giving ourselves to holiness and godliness, to uh, a blameless and spot-free life, living at peace with one another. Amen. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that indeed we may not be uh, carried away by the scoffing and unbelief of the world, nor by the love of things that are perishing, but instead lift up our eyes to look for the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, that we might, like the Old Testament saints, be eagerly anticipating the coming of the Savior in glory. We know that He has promised to come. He promised to come once as a a babe born of the Virgin, and that promise has been fulfilled, and we know, therefore, that the second promise, uh, that He will come again as He left on the clouds, Uh, that that promise also shall be fulfilled. O Lord, hear us and uh, answer us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.